I've always said that the most important thing or the greatest moment ever is when you're on the podium singing your national anthem. It's probably the most emotional thing you ever you ever feel. I felt so proud and like I felt like the whole country was like supporting me. Like it wasn't just me, it was it was like everybody. I felt like you know I, I'd done it for everyone. Well, good morning to you and welcome once again to uh, our church. We're so blessed and honored to have your company. And I pray that you enjoyed the time of worship that we've had together. Not everyone has a dream to be an Olympian. But every Olympian had a dream to be one. As you've seen on the screen. Every Olympian at one stage, say for example, Claudia Bacal, who was the silver uh, winner in, in the Athens Olympian 2004. Every Olympian had a dream. Maybe whilst they were watching the TV one time and, and enjoying the Olympics themselves as young people, they desired that they would see themselves one day in that arena competing. Every dream motivates the Olympian to do something about it. The way they see their future, the way they see their possibility, it gives them sustained energy, gives them motivation, gives them perseverance to do whatever it takes to accomplish that dream. And regardless of your own profession, Regardless of your own relationship capacity, every single one of us has a dream. Whether that dream is being shared with others or not, you do have a core desire that you wish, that you truly wish would come to a fruition. For some of us, that's relevant to a particular career or, or to a business or, or to an achievement of whatever capacity, academic capacity, Whatever it may mean for you, it may be in a relational arena. Whether you are married or, or not married or, or hoping to get into a romantic relationship, you have a dream for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Whether you are in a job that you love or, or the job that you're waiting for, that next uh, uh, promotion or open door that you get to the part that you really enjoy. Whether it's got to do with your spiritual walk with God and, and, and your next step or your ultimate step of being in relationship with Jesus. But ultimately, regardless of what your dream is, every single one of us has a dream related to who we want to be. Or more articulately, who you want to be remembered for. You know, whether we say it or not, we want people not just to remember when we die, but we want them to remember what we've done when we're alive. In your own immediate family, maybe you don't say it out loud, but you want to be remembered by your spouse and you want to re be remembered by your kids that you are a caring, loving, fun individual to be around. You don't want them to chuck a party the day you pass away because good riddance, they're not going to say it that way, but you've driven them nuts. Nobody wants to be remembered that way. You want your children, once they leave the home, they want to come back. And not just so you can wash their clothes and give them a good meal, but because they enjoy your company. 
Not many of us want to leave a work environment and want to be remembered for being a person that didn't really look after the team and didn't really do the work that's required of them. We all want to be remembered by our co-workers as the smart, reliable, helpful individual that we were with them. We want to be remembered by our neighbors as the people that they really hated leaving that house because they trusted us even with their kids. When it comes to to your friends, you want to you wanna be remembered that the wise, helpful, uh, witty, the person that they enjoyed your company and they would brag about you in your eulogy one day when you depart this earth. We all have core desires. It's not just limited to Olympians. It's not just limited to kids. You know what you want to be when you grow up. It's not just limited to aspirations of, of the, you know, the Gen Y you know, that want to you know, tackle the world. It's actually deep inside every single one of us. The only difference is because of life's experience, we've learned the trick not to share it. Because you know as soon as you start sharing your heart's desire or your core desire deep within you that you would create tension in your own life because you're not going to be satisfied with the status quo. Because that's what dreams do. That's what core desire, when it's, when it's articulated, does for you. It creates tension between what's real and what's ideal. Every single one of us has lived long enough to know that if you articulate an out there type of desire, you might be setting yourself up for failure because you know it's going to take a lot of work to get there. So you would rather not articulate it and not try it lest you try it and fail. And enough of us have seen the pressure that other people in our own family or in our work environment or even in the church or in your work environment, where once you share your story, once you share your dream, you will be somehow judged by that measure of accomplishing it or not. We don't want that pressure. Because you and I know for every single Olympian that have accomplished something They've experienced significant setbacks. You know, you read, you just check on, 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 on the internet and see the incredible significant hardship and challenges that people had to go through. You know, some were sexually abused. Some broke, you know, their spine and, and were, were told that you're going to be on a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And they rehab. They're rehabilitated and they got over their problems, whether it's physical or emotional. I read about a, a young man that was abducted from America, taken back to Sudan and, and was left in a camp, in a detention camp until he escaped the borders of Kenya. And then after these many years, he runs in the Olympics. You know story after story of anybody that has accomplished anything significant. They had to endure hard times and they had to turn their setbacks into setups. No one, no one, you know that from your own experiences. No one has ever accomplished anything by a cruisy road. No one. Anything significant, you have to pay the cost, not just pay the cost for it. But for every individual, Olympian or just normal like you and I, for every individual that accomplished the dream, we have myriads of stories, multitudes of stories. 
of dreams that have been left in the grave as a result of defeat, discouragement, and despair. So what happens to some to thrive despite the challenges of life and others to falter and quit? Because deep inside you, deep inside of me, there is a desire that we want to accomplish everything God created us to accomplish. We don't want to live a mediocre life. That's only a rationalization so that we don't set up ourselves for failure. But you want to live every single dream that God deposited in your life. You know that you have a unique calling over your life, regardless of your age, your background, your experiences, and even your future. You know that you're called for something. And God Almighty breathed life in you for a purpose. And if your assignment is finished, you will be home. So what would it take for you and I to accomplish the dreams that God has put in our lives. Not just to dream to be in the Olympics, but to be an Olympian. And that's why we're going to spend four weeks on this particular series. We're going to look at four things that are going to help us and help you and equip you and equip me to be a people that thrive in the midst of the challenges of life and build the type of individual, not just the work ethics, but the type of individual that will become an Olympian. In whichever arena God has called you to be. Pastor Stuart Robinson will come in the next three weeks and he will share his story. The guy has been in ministry for 50 odd years. He is an Olympian. And he's going to bring about life uh, lessons from his own personal experiences. For the next three weeks at night, I will continue with the life of Joseph. He's my favorite character in the Bible from a young age. And Joseph's, Joseph's life is a significant life. Joseph has a remarkable story back in the Old Testament. And uh, just to give you a little background, obviously we know of Abraham, the father of all nations, you know, the father of the Jews. Following from Abraham, if we can get the family tree, following from Abraham we had Isaac. Isaac is the, is the son of promise of Abraham. And after Isaac, he had Esau and Jacob and out of Jacob, is the person that we have the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, uh, Jacob had four wives. Imagine that. It's not like one after the other at the same time. He, and you worried about one wife? How about him? And, uh, and he had 12 children and he had one daughter. And they are known as the tribes of Israel. And they are basically the Jewish nation. Their descendants became the Jewish nation. But Joseph is the guy there that you see with what we know as the multicolored coat. You know, he was the distinct one. He took the place of what we'd know as the firstborn or, or the person through which the descendants and the family of Jacob was going to accomplish the dream that God put in their heart. And Joseph had a dream. He had a significant dream when he was 17 years old. Yet he had an unbelievable journey of setbacks, challenges, hardship that you and I would potentially never experience. By the age he was 30, he has encountered ridiculous opposition from close by and from far away. He found himself in Egypt, enslaved in a, in, in a house named as the Potiphar's house, an official of Pharaoh. Then he was falsely accused of rape. And he ended up in prison. 
And in prison, he interpreted dreams of a couple of officials in, in Pharaoh's household, the baker and the butler, and, uh, and, and exactly what he mentioned, what interpreted of those dreams took place. And finally, he found himself summoned to the house of Pharaoh, the big top shot in the entire world because Egypt, not just because I'm Egyptian, but it was the most powerful country at the time. You wish you were there, weren't you? Um, and they were incredible, advanced in every way, powerful nation. And there, this guy that comes from the dungeon, 30 years old, is summoned to the house of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gives him a dream. He actually gives him two dreams that the magicians and, and, and the people, the authorities around Pharaoh's household, they couldn't interpret to him the dream. And he says to Joseph, you know, I hear from the butler that you interpreted the, his dream and the dream of the baker and it came to pass. How about you have a go at interpreting those dreams? And Joseph says to him, you know what, those two dreams are actually just one dream. And that one dream, God is confirming to you that we will have seven years of abundance where we're going to have so much food that you won't even be able to uh, utilize all at once. But then there will be seven years of famine, a difficult time, that, 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 a famine that the land has never seen before, and the famine will be throughout the world, not just the country of Egypt. And he not only interpreted the dream, but he gave, the, uh, he gave Pharaoh some insight as what he needs to do to put in, in charge a wise person that will actually administer the resources when there is plenty so that it can cater for the people in the years of famine. And look at what happened once this uh, prisoner in front of Pharaoh des uh, uh, um, describes this plan in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 37, it says this. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, ask, ask them, can we find anyone like this man? He's talking about Joseph. One in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge. That's the first mention of the word, in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. The actual description of that, he was saying that all my people will kiss the ground or kiss your hand or kiss the feet or do homage and submit to you. They would bow down to the ground before you. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That means Joseph was promoted from a prisoner to a prime minister, to someone who's second in charge. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge, the second time the word comes, of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring, which is the ring that uh, describes authority, it was like when they signed and sealed orders, they signed that with the signet ring, as we've heard uh, about in the book of Esther. And that was really whatever he ordered would come to pass, would have to be accomplished. Pharaoh put his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He basically 
declared him to be royal. He put the rope, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't know what exactly was the dress code for prisoners. But I, if my experience of seeing prisons in, in Egypt, anything to run by, they're not really pretty type of clothing. They, they're pretty degrading. But then he puts on him the royal dress coat and fine, of fine linen and gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot just as a description of his victory, as a description of his status, just to declare to everybody, this is just not a Jewish kid that has been stuck in prison for a couple of years or more, but this is really a person that you have to admire and listen to as if he's part of our Egyptian heritage, as his second in command. And men should before, shouted before him, make way, thus, he put him in charge for the third time of the whole land of Egypt. And in verse 46, it says, Joseph was 30 years old. Wow, what a movie. You get a, a guy coming from the pit into a prison and finally into a palace. And clearly it wasn't a one-night type of success. You know, it wasn't just immediately. This guy came to, to Egypt when he was apparently 17 years of age. That means 13 years of heartache. And people always ask, you know, you, you, you check the story of Joseph. There's enough written about it to, to keep a library full. But people always ask, what happened for this guy to be placed in such position of honor and position of authority and being in charge of the entire most powerful country in the world. And that's true. That always amuses me. How could that happen? But you know what amuses me most? Why on earth would he accept that position? You say to me, what? He's been granted this opportunity of a lifetime to be in charge of all of Egypt. And you say, why wouldn't he choose this position? Humor me for just a few minutes. If you've ever experienced trauma in your life, you will understand what I mean. Because the word in charge, in charge, in charge that was spoken three times didn't just come into one ear and out of the other for Joseph. If he's a human like the rest of us, he would have been absolutely terrified of that word. You know why? Because there is three times where Joseph was in charge of something and it absolutely backfired on him. The first time that Joseph was in charge of anything was in Genesis chapter 37 where his dad who loved him and favored him, which is not a very wise thing to do for a father, but boy, he had four wives at the same time. You know, he can deal with anything. You know, he's, he's, he had a tough. But there is three things that happened to this man. The first one when he was in charge of his brothers. You know, we all, can we get to the next slide, please, Jason? When we all in a place where we actually are hated by our brothers because we're in charge, that is trauma. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but I know this about you. I know this about me. I'd rather not be in charge than be hated. You think about it. You would rather not be a boss at work than be hated by the workers. 
You would rather not be, high, you not be a, a, a significant influential person in your friendship than being hated by your friends. You would, you would give up anything for a proper relationship unless you're absolutely choleric, crazy, harsh individual and we will see you after the service. We can help. But this guy, you know when we say multicolored coat, you know there were no dyes in those days. It wasn't like different types of colors put together. It either was different robes put together, but it's most likely, as scholars tell us, that it was long sleeve. It wasn't a multicolored uh, coat. It was just a coat with long sleeve. So what's the point of long sleeve? In an agricultural society, you don't wear long sleeve coats if you want to work. But this was assigned by his father, wherever this kid went out with the shepherds and in and, and, and the workplace in the field, he was looked at as saying, he's the supervisor, he's not the laborer. He was in charge. Not only was he in charge by his father, he was in charge by God. He had two dreams, just like the Pharaoh's dream. And the dreams in, in a very simple way were interpreted by his brothers saying to him, so are you saying you're going to be in charge of us? Are you going to dominate us? Are you going to rule over us? He knew that God had him in charge. In charge. And how did that end? Not pretty cool, eh? He was not only hated, you know, we worry when people hate us. They loved him so much they wanted to kill him. They want to send him to his God. It's easier to be with your God than being hated by people. I'm telling you that. But then they had mercy on him and said, you know, we're going to chuck him in a cistern, in a pit. In a, it wasn't just a simple pit. It was like an empty cistern. And most commentators say he was there for at least three days because he put his brothers in prison for three days when they came back to him in Egypt. So they see the correlation in that. But also, if he was just immediately put in a pit and taken off to the Ishmaelites that came and be sold as a slave, how come Reuben didn't know that he was taken to the Ishmaelites? He came back and said, my, my brother is not in the pit. So obviously there was a lapse of time when the brothers sold the, the, uh, Joseph uh, to be a slave in Egypt. So that's the first one. If you're like me, you will run for your life if you ever get that word in charge again. But he didn't learn because in Potiphar's house as a slave, he did so well that he was put in charge again of the household of Potiphar. And he trusted him with absolutely everything, his people, his, uh, his, his palace, everything. He was totally a trustworthy guy. It didn't work out for his favor, did it? Because he was so good looking and he was so hard working that Potiphar's wife said, you know what, ba, uh, boy, you look too cool for school. Come and sleep with me. And it, she did that week in and week out. And you know what? His dad is not there to see. His brothers are not there to see. There's, you know, he's the boss and she's the first lady. You know, they can do whatever they want. Nobody can say a thing. But he had integrity. We're going to talk about it in two weeks' time. And he refused to succumb to the pressure. And what happened? He got falsely accused, lumped in prison. Why? Because he was in charge. It didn't work out the first time. It didn't work out the second time. You'd think he would shut up and run away from being in charge. But then he goes to prison. He does good work. 
he gets loved and appreciated and trusted and he's being put as a prisoner on top of the other prisoners. In fact, so much so that he was on top of the butler and the baker who were working so closely with Pharaoh. He was up there and being in a charge, he wasn't arrogant. He walked one time and realized that the baker and the butler were perplexed and, and he said to them, what's going on? They told him about a really difficult dream that was happening in their life. And he interpreted the dreams and he says to them, you know, when you go back to Pharaoh, would you please remember me? What happened? Two years abandoned in prison. So when he heard Pharaoh say, I'm in a charge, if he was a wise person, if he's a normal person like you and I, he would run for his life, wouldn't you? Because he could see himself as one of two things. And as the result of seeing himself emotionally and internally would determine his reaction. You ask any psychologist. When I see my psychologist, he said to me, you need to understand what part of you is conversing with, pe with people, how, what part of you is relating to people, because we have different parts within us. Either the traumatized part or the healthy part. And, 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 and Joseph could, saw, could have seen himself one of two things. He could have seen himself as traumatized leader or as a triumphant leader. He could have seen himself as a traumatized leader or he could have seen himself as a triumphant leader. I want to tell you something. The first lesson you need to know is how you see yourself will determine whether you'll be an Olympian or not. If your emotional state is so broken and you're not receiving any help, you will never accomplish your dream, your God-given dream. Not because God's hands are shortened. Not because God doesn't want to use you. It's because you are sabotaging your own destiny but not looking at your internal health and your character. And that's why we're spending four weeks talking about how we're going to live. Type of people that got the character, got the internal and emotional health that will help us to reach our dreams. So how did he grasp the type of uh, idea, uh, the type of identity, I mean, the type of person, the image that he has of himself? He had two options. If he looked at external influences, he would have seen himself as traumatized human being. Hated, totally abhorred and, 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 uh, and, and sent as a slave by, by his brother, totally ruined in his reputation by that woman that thought uh, that, that she would pop, populate that he's a rapist, then forgotten like he's not loved. The reality is, friends, he had every reason if he was to look at external influences that he was messed up individually. Could I speak to you heart to heart? What do you see yourself to be? Because you have an image of yourself. There is no doubt about it. Ask people who love you. They will tell you. Some of us sitting here today, even now we are Christians and followers of Jesus, or maybe you've never even come to know Jesus before, but you have such a messed up image of yourself because of what happened to you when you were young, because of what people said about you when you were a teenager, because of your failure at work, because of a stuff up you've done and you deserve, you, you deserve to punish yourself for it. 
We say things about ourselves that we're dumb. We say things about ourselves that we're hopeless. We say things about ourselves that we just never make it. We say things about ourselves that we're harsh. We say things about ourselves that we're unfriendly, that we're unloved, that we never stick around with a friend for long enough. You say rubbish about yourself because of what people say about you or because of what your circumstances say about you. And God would say to you, don't say that. He said it to a prophet. He said to a prophet named Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, and he said to him, don't say that. Just because people say you're young and an idiot, don't say that about yourself, otherwise I'm going to punish you. God takes it so seriously that if we say negative things about his very creation inside of us, he's offended. What do you say about you? It's about time that you shut the mouth of experiences and shut the mouth of the naysayers and shut the mouth of those who abused you or spoke negatively of you or misunderstand you or still fight with you today. They have no right to name the product. You are a product of God and no one can ever say that is worth this or that. Only your God in heaven, only your father can say what you're worth. If if, if, if Joseph's brother said he's the dreamer, he's worth nothing, his dream will not come to pass, they have no right over him. Who do you see yourself? What if I said to you that your maker sees you as a little Jesus in the world? Not a churchgoer, not even a Christian. Not a hard worker, not a volunteer, not a minister. But God sees you as little Jesus in the world. A person with intimacy with God, that you have the heart and the attention and the affection of your father. He looks at you and says, you have friendship and connection with other believers. He looks at you and says, you have influence in your, in your world. He looks at you and sees a little Jesus, not a traumatized self, but a triumphant self. You know, not only what you see inside of you will determine what you do. But let me tell you that what you see determines what you do without. You've received a little card as you came in. And I hope you keep that card in a proper place. What champions see within will motivate what they do without. You know why? Because if you're ever going to be a man of integrity, you need to do without some stuff. You need to do not just do stuff, but you need to get away from some stuff. Just like an Olympian. They don't just have a particular diet. That actually by implication means they don't have that type of food. They have a particular schedule which by implication means they don't have that type of stuff in their time schedule. And you not only called to do something but called to live without some things. And I just want to mention two things that we're going to take over the next three weeks. Number one is self-control and number two is endurance. That's the person that reflects Jesus. Self-control, you have to do with some, without some things 
related to life's pleasures. And with endurance or perseverance, you have to do without some things related to life's pleasures. You know, the easiest way is if under pressure, you want to do with comfort and ease, but you have to do without comfort and ease if you're going to endure to become the man of God or the woman of God that he created you to be. In terms of pleasure, you say, I have every right. I'm so desperate. I've got to pull towards that. And, and, and because you can see the character of Jesus, say, I could live without that for the sake of becoming what God has planned for me. Friends, if you see yourself the way God sees you, you will do without few things in life that you think you can't live without. It will give you freedom like you've never experienced before. So today, let me ask you again. Who do you see in the inside of you? Because I want to tell you, when God looks at you, he sees his son Jesus. You're a partaker of divine nature. You have the very character of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and oozes Jesus out of you. If you only know what is at stake, you will endure life with and without some things that you think you can't. Because not, you won't be just an Olympian. You'll be a little Jesus in the world. And if you want to be more human than you've ever been, you need to be more like Jesus. Because he is the representation of what a real human being, ideal human being looks like. He was perfectly human. And perfectly God. God oozed out of him. And God can ooze out of you. Imagine. Imagine if you began to see yourself the way God sees you. Little Jesus. Imagine the perseverance that would become so easy. Not necessarily easy but bearable. In order to get to that point. Where you're not only put in charge. And you're comfortable with that. But that as a result of the 13 years of tough living, you would become the man that saves Israel from famine. And if it wasn't for Joseph, the nation of Israel would have died. And if it wasn't for the nation of Israel, Jesus wouldn't have come. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you and I would have eternal damnation forever. Let's have the band. I want to pray for With every eyes bowed, with every eyes closed and head bowed, I, I want you to connect with God just for a couple of minutes. And tell him what you say about yourself to yourself. And how you view yourself as a result of traumas, difficulties, life experiences, failures. And you're trying to convince people that you are something that you don't really believe that you are. You don't need to worry about people. You need to worry about your God because people will always find faults in you. Not your Father in heaven. This is Jesus all over you, oozing out of you. Confess that to him right now and say, I'm sorry that I allowed the voices of circumstances and the voices of people to tell me who I am 
And as a result of that, Father, I live a traumatized life. I'm scared of people. I'm scared of life. I'm scared of circumstances. I'm scared to stand for the truth. I'm scared to say my opinion. I'm scared about people's rejection. I'm scared about people's approval. I'm scared about failure. I'm scared about stuff. But from now on, I want to see myself differently. Succumb. And allow me to see what you see in me. That I may be able not just to do stuff, but to do without stuff. And it won't matter. I would count them as rubbish for the sake of seeing Jesus oozing out of my body. Come Holy Spirit. You alone could convict and encourage us. Words are so empty, I feel so helpless to communicate it. Ah, oh, forgive me, God. But would you come by the power of your Spirit and would you thunder in my brother and sister's heart, I pray. That they would know never, ever, ever to allow circumstances and people to define them. love you. We honor you. We love the name of Jesus. And we thank you that we don't just meet with you, but we're destined to become like you. Fulfill our dreams, I pray, to become more like Jesus. We honor you. We honor your Holy Spirit. Come and have your way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for being here. We don't take your commitment for granted. We're so blessed and honored that you make the time to be here. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of sharing with you. I'm really looking forward to having Pastor Stuart come with us the next three weeks and bless our socks off.